everyone, and welcome back to the Habs Puck Drop Podcast. So this is going to be our uh, end of the regular season. Uh, looking forward to the first playoff matchup against the Leafs. Um, you know, it goes without saying, we're pretty excited about this matchup. First one since 1979. Uh, it's good to see in our lifetime, but uh, we're going to have a pretty uh, deep breakdown of the matchup going in. And uh, yeah, let's get started. Yeah, for sure. So... <clears throat> Like you said, we've got the first place finishing Toronto Maple Leafs playing against the fourth place fourth place finishing Montreal Canadiens. Um, you know, don't don't let you know the standings deceive you either. Um, it's a whole you know, new, it's, it's a whole it's, new season. Exactly. Yeah. The best way I can put it is just whatever has happened is completely in the past. Yeah. It's um, like last year. Look at the Pens last that's year. It. That's it. That's exactly worried. it. You know, I hope they count the Habs out because last time they did that. We shocked everybody. I'm loving all these uh, press interviews too, with like Price and, and yeah. Gallagher, um, you know, and their reactions to the you know the underdog status. These guys just thrive off that clearly, and you know they haven't seen, you know, they and also us, we haven't seen the full Habs roster in probably two months. Yeah, which is the one that Bergevin built for the playoffs. Exactly, he built this team with the playoffs in mind. So now we get to see kind of the, uh, you know, we get to see what we worked for. Exactly. Um, you know, I think we might as well just jump into the comparisons first, then we'll talk a little bit more about like our analysis and everything. So we've got over here on the whiteboard uh, two separate tables. We've got kind of a general season in review, and then we have the actual season series. So just to start with the uh, the season itself, the Habs finished with a record of 24, 21, and 11. Um, that's 42%, 43% win rate. Um, not the season we expected, but also with the injuries, you know, and, and the COVID protocol where we basically ended up playing the most games out of anyone. And yeah, I yeah, think the I'm last I'm going to jump in there just because I, I need to amend something. So while I was annoyed year all year with, you know, how, you know, basically everyone around the league, but specifically the Montreal Canadiens were, were blaming, you know, these, these losing streaks on, on scheduling. And I said, well, you know, everyone's in the same boat. Um, while that was true, and I think for the most part, you know, these guys, you know, can act like prima donnas with this stuff. Um, in terms of the standings, I mean, if you look since March 30th, the Habs uh, have been first in the league in games played. And the rest of the North Division is literally like 25th, Bottom, yeah, 26th, exactly. 27th, 28th. So it's, you know, we were, you know, far more, uh, we had far more games than these guys. And also... Uh, you know, we took a lot of injuries due to that schedule. Yeah, so so that that was a pressing matter. Yeah. So like, you know, I, I, I can't really, you know, forecast how many games we would have won out of that because it's impossible to tell. But like, you know, I, I think we would have looked at more like a, a 28, 29 win season yeah, realistically I think that's if we were healthier. And I think we would have realistically played Edmonton. But, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, this matchup could end up being a blessing in disguise. And the reality of the fact is that with this, um, you know, new division and, you know, the North division, we're going to have to play, uh, you know, these teams at one point. So exactly. know, might as well just get it over with. Well, that's it. And yeah, so just to kind of jump back into the numbers there, um, Montreal, like I said, 24, 21, and 11, Toronto would finish 35, 14, and 7. And now I'm just going to go back and forth. I think we have about 10 different stats here. So Montreal had a 2.82 goals for per game and a 2.95 goals against. Toronto scored 3.324 and led in 2.64 again. So um, both of these, you know, trend in favor of Toronto. Toronto's power play was, uh, you know, not crazy, 
better, but just slightly higher at 20% exactly, where Montreal's was 19.2. On a downward slope, though. So that, that, yes. see, that's one of those stats I want to point out where you know we suffered big time on our power play early on in the season. And then when we had that coaching change and uh, you know we got uh, Burroughs in there, it's been looking better ever since. Mm-hmm. And you know I'd rather be on the up and up than Toronto that's been really struggling on the power play recently, which is like you know absolutely like i don't understand how i mean like yeah, you just throw those guys out there like without even coaching i'm sure they could figure it out but well maybe not yeah. <laughs> but yeah. well apparently not <laughs> and you know what it's so close 19.2 to 20 is we're talking like, yeah, like a handful of power plays at the very most um we have identical penalty kill percentages at 78 and a half so really special teams over the regular season there wasn't a significant yeah. difference um you know montreal's goal leader being Tofoli and uh, toronto's being matthews i mean we have a 28 goal scorer and a 41 goal scorer um so again these things this is the reason i'm reading off all the stats is because there's a very big misleading um trend with how uh, general season stats are um you know toronto's assist and point leader is mitch marner whereas our assist leader is Petrie and our point leader is Toffoli. Our goals against uh, leader, as in the lowest goals against, was Carey Price was a 2.64 on the year, and Jake Allen had the highest save percentage of 9.07. Um, Toronto it goes to Campbell for both with a 2.15 and a 9.21 save percentage. So just looking at the regular season, I mean, you get all these categories that's in favor of Toronto, and we tie on the penalty kill. So most people look at that and say, oh, okay, so Toronto's going to blow them out of the water. And that's just not true. Um, You know, like, you can't just base it off of stats. There's a reason players like, you know, Archery Lekkanen get paid to play in the league. And also intangibles, too, because, um, you know, having, for example, a 41-goal score on your team... The opportunity cost of having three 20 goal scores on the team drops, and I don't think Toronto yeah. did. I could also, be wrong, but you know, I'll check. Look at you know, look at another stat we didn't you know look at because we we're only looking at this season. But like you know, who made it through the first round last season? Yes, you know and, I mean? and years before and, that. And, yeah, exactly. And like we're we're a team that is much much stronger than we were last year. Like com- yes, like very much much stronger. We're not just going in on like kind of like a hope and a prayer. Yeah, I mean like we got you know additions in the off season to Foley, Anderson, Allen. Like this is you know, Edmondson. This is an incredibly different team that and you know we really strengthened our weak points whereas toronto kind of has this um you know all or nothing pressure on their back right now where it's you know it's win now and you know if you don't win um you know they're in deep trouble like they have to really look at you know what they're going to do going forward so we don't have that pressure which is nice you know like no one's expecting us to win this series and uh everyone's expecting toronto to win it and that you know they are expecting toronto win against columbus and, and um, Pittsburgh to and, beat Montreal. Yeah, both so, teams lost. You know, I'd much rather be the underdog. I'm not. I'm gonna. You know, I'll take that. But I, I'm okay being the underdog because I think our team is undervalued. Yeah, I and, wouldn't be okay with it if these stats were on completely healthy rosters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, then I'd a, have yeah, an that's issue. what I was gonna. Ju- I was gonna say is like, you know, you look at these stats and and like yeah, it favors Toronto. You know, the, the Leafs. You know, had a pretty good season, but. You know, you look over since March 30th or even earlier than that, early March, like you look at the injury list, um, you know, we were, you know, dealt a pretty bad hand in terms of the injuries uh, quite early on. And, you know, we've been kind of dealing with patchwork, whereas Toronto, for the most part, like, yeah, Hyman was in and out. 
um, you know, a few other guys, you know, in deep, but like they weren't ever missing these key pieces. You know yeah. what I mean? Like they didn't miss... And if they were, it wasn't all at once. Yeah, they didn't miss, you know, Riley, they didn't miss Matthews, didn't miss Marner, didn't miss Tavares, you know what I mean? Like these guys all played and, you know, you know, when you lose a guy like Gallagher, when you lose a guy like Deno, when you lose a guy like Weber, when you lose a guy like Price, I mean, like it's, it's a much more different scenario. You don't really have to rework how the team plays, well, whereas it. like... You know, Toronto would have to do something very similar if they lost a Marner or a Matthews or a Tavares or a Nylander, but they didn't have to. So they can kind of stick with that, you know, that game plan year round where we had to be super ad- adaptive. And it's going to be interesting to see us play after like rest and also like an actual practice. Well, that that's it. I think the, the Habs, you know, at the time of recording this, I think they just had their first proper practice. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's all smiles and like everyone's ready to go. Kind of thing. There's no, there's no lacking. There's no nerves. It's like they're ready to play hockey. Yeah. Um, so then, comparing those uh, statistics to the season series, again, it, it's going to be a little bit misleading because it, you know you're going to get these things that also play off each other. So, for example, Toronto's goals for against Montreal is the equivalent to Montreal's goals against against yeah. Toronto. So, like, for you know, I'll just go through it. Montreal was three six and one. Toronto was seven two and one. Um, and then obviously crisscrossing here, Montreal would score two and a half goals per game against Toronto, i.e. Toronto lets in two and a half against Montreal and Toronto would score 3.4. So just about a goal more per game. Basically. Um, the power play for Montreal is about at 18.8% and Toronto's was up to about 22.2. Um, this goes back to what you were saying about how, you know, our, our, uh, team kind of suffered in terms of like being patchy throughout the year mm-hmm. um we also played toronto of all the teams in the north we had very patchy bits with toronto yeah. we had like one at the beginning a few in the middle and then a, like a bunch at the end there was never like three even stretch, yeah, yeah exactly we had like i i think the only time we played them in a clump was at the end of the year yeah and, and that's the thing is like i i guarantee that power play percentage is kind of inflated by you know missing price you know a couple of those games we were missing you know in terms of the penalty kill, we're missing Weber, Sherratt, Price. I mean, well, like, that's it. You know, it's going to hit Dano at yeah, one point. Yeah, and, and it's also in terms of how much it went up or down. You know, Montreal from 19.2 to 18.2, yeah. talking 1%. Yeah, from 78.5 to less than, you know, to 77.75, we're talking less than a percent. So yeah. it's like, it's it's worth naming that, you know, it went down and all of Toronto's went up. It's not But it's not like yeah. we had, you know the inability to score yeah. on the power play. It's definitely not significant. I mean, it's a, it's around what we'd, you know, we'd expect from, you know, against the best team. Yeah, you have to allow for some error as well. Yeah, it's, a, it's the best team in the division. Like, you know, if it's going to average out to, you know, 78.5, um, you know, I'd expect the, you know, the, the team to pull it down would be Toronto. Exactly. And, you know, um, our leading goal scorers this season against Toronto, we had a three-way tie between Suzuki, Tatar, and Anderson. That's what I want to see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is our assist leader with 10 assists in 10 games, which also made him our point leader in Toronto. And Allen would actually be the one who took, um, basically both goaltending stats. He was a 2.8 with a 901, um, Interestingly, though, Allen didn't play, um, you know, all the games. Obviously, Carey Price played the first, I believe, four or five. So the, the, there was a decent split to yeah. compare. Price had a rough year against Toronto. He was under a 900 and over a three. So, you know, it it doesn't mean anything, in my opinion, because 
again, you have to couple that with who's in and out of the lineup. Yeah. But, you know, looking at Jack Campbell's stats, compared to the regular season, he was slightly above his goals against in, ter- uh, in terms of um, the regular season. So he was a 215 during the regular season and a 217 against Montreal. Yeah. And he was also a 921 during the regular season and a 918 against Montreal. So Jack Campbell's actually very slightly, but it's worth mentioning too, had a rougher time against Montreal. Yeah, I don't think that's than, significant. To be not fair. significant. It's very, very minute, but it is the same trends. Both went, uh, you know, against him against Montreal. He had a fantastic year, and if there was going to be any team that pulled it down, if it's us, I'm happy with that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, I think um, you just look at the standings. I'm sure like his games that brought him up were the three teams that didn't make the playoffs. Probably. You know, yeah. And then you know, it, you know, it's it, you know. You know, it's it's once again it goes back to that power play thing. I'm a lot happier that it's just a slight like decrease rather than seeing that he was you know like a one point six yeah. and a, and a yeah, nine seven. It's not like a significant. Increase Where like I'll, I'll say like Matt Murray this year for Ottawa, yeah, who was, was like an eight hundred except yeah. against us. Exactly. Yeah. Like it, you know, it's it's he was yeah. fit, like very close to on par with his season, but it even was like on the side of a negative. Yeah, my yeah. I just wanted to make sure it wasn't like we were saying that like we're for some reason it's kryptonite. No, exactly. Like, we're You're talking about not. yeah. We're talking about like three percent less. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, not much. But. And in 10 games, you know, Matthews was their point leader. He had 14 points in 10 games with seven goals. Uh, there's a four-way tie for Toronto in terms of assists. Matthews, Marners, Tavares, and Muzzin. No surprise. Um, but yeah, basically, you know, it's very it's very misleading because we have basically a check mark next to the team that, you know, quote-unquote won the category. Yeah. And it's everything is Toronto except for Jeff Petrie having 10 assists. And... You know, that to a lot of people creates panic. The only thing that I also find is like worth mentioning is that, you know, we're hearing a lot about how, and I remember we discussed this at the beginning of the year with our predictions, and I think I even said word for word, Toronto like finds a way to win every game during the regular season, but they're just not built for the playoffs. Yeah. And I, I really do stand by that. I think. Toronto knows how to win games. The only thing is they don't know how to how this is going to sound stupid, how to win because like the, I mean the Stanley Cup, like they don't know what it takes to get through that like dominate the regular season. And yeah, then it's yeah. just they they're not I think that's why they resilient, brought in these guys, yeah. Which I was going to get to. I wanted to know your opinion on because they brought in a few guys and to me and I trying to be like as unbiased as I can I don't think that bringing in certain guys really did the job that they think it was going to do. You know, like bringing in Joe Thornton was not like for his size. It was, and then like we saw how many different places he played in their lineup, and he's actually been good for them now that they figured out he's not a first line left winger. Yeah. But like bringing in, you know, Wayne Simmons, Nick Felino, um, Zach Bogosian, like that, that was clear that they wanted to bring in some grit. The only thing is like, I don't know if. They, they get, how can I word this right? We've said it before, like, you can't supplement it. You need yeah, your, I, I, you need your Matthews and your Marner to do it too. Yeah, I think I know what you're saying. I, I, I don't think they brought in particularly like, like, uh, you know, guys like Thornton necessarily for grid. I think they wanted guys to be in there that could, you know, push them through morally, uh, through the playoffs. Like, even mm-hmm. though obviously, you know, Thornton's yet to win a, a Stanley Cup, but he's clearly a leadership force in the locker room. And I think, 
Um, you know, especially with this much pressure going into the playoffs, I think they needed some vets there to kind of push them through and uh, keep them level-headed in the playoffs. I think Thornton was a good addition. Um, I think Foligno too. The thing is, is it's like you're saying, like, you know, bringing in a couple of depth guys to kind of bruise up the other team. Like, I, I that's not the issue Toronto has. That being said, you don't need your guys, your top guys to be, um, you know, you know, Brendan Gallagher grittiness because, like, clearly then, you know, like the, you know, Chicago Blackhawks wouldn't have been successful with Patrick right. Kane. That guy's not exactly a gritty player. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, though, is that you need, I find, a little bit more cohesiveness in the top six and the bottom six in terms of where these guys play. That's why I think Nick Foligno was probably the best addition they made just because I he agree. tied that grittiness of the bottom six to the top six. And, um, and he's a he's a and top Hyman, level talent. Yeah, and Hyman being healthy, I think, is going to be really good for them too. Just being objective, um, you know, I want to be a little realistic here. With Toronto, like they're a very very good deep team, and like um, you know, Hyman being healthy is huge. You know, I didn't think he'd be back with his knee injury there, um, but Foligno at the trade deadline was something that like I really wish we looked into. <laughs> now, yeah, you know, if Drew was someone... a little bit more unhealthy at that time, he, I know he wasn't then, but mm-hmm. if he was a little bit, if if he kind of pulled back a little sooner. Um, I think that would have probably been something good to look at, but, you know, hindsight. Yeah, and you know what? He's a UFA this summer, and I think even when he got traded, I even said to you at one point, I was like, oh, that's someone the Canadians could really yeah, use on that. the left side. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, we, we both really liked him for some time now, and it's it's good to see that, you know, he's had, he's made some pu- very public comments in the past about how, like, how he feels about Toronto, you know, when they are in the playoffs especially, just kind of on not so much, like, yeah, he wasn't going after their like character or anything, but he was just talking about their play style, and it's you can tell he's a very like, um, like hard nosed hockey player, and how he was saying they're just very like essentially implying they're just not very tough. Yeah, and so I I, I love that in a player. I like that, but it's I like the guys who can do that and you know get you like fifteen twenty goals a year, yeah. not just the guy who trades off goals for hits. Yeah, but um, I yeah I might yeah. be wrong about this, but. The thing is, is like you can have guys like Marner and Matthews who are like, you know, decisive superstars. Um, you know, Marner, you know, I'm not a, you know, I'm not huge on him, but, you know, clearly he puts on point, puts up points. Matthews. Um, yeah, he's been the team leader for the past. I don't yeah, know how I, you know, players. I think like it's kind of hard to tell how good he'd be in a vacuum. Like, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's but all these guys kind of play together. Right. So it's yeah. kind of impossible to tell anyone. I think I probably just have a bit of bias towards Marner. But, you know, I just, you know, I, I find him. um be just, I don't know, slightly overrated in the non-tangibles. Like, you know, when I see him on the penalty kill and stuff like that, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Which is weird, is. though, because he's successful in the penalty kill. Yeah. It's a weird it's a weird situation. I think he's successful because... But he's not particularly a good penalty kill. No, like, it's, they put he's him fast. Out there. Yeah, they put that's him out it. there because he can chase the puck into the corner. That's, that's it. No one in their bottom six can. I mean, like, you're not going to throw, you know, Joe Thornton out there no. to chase the pucks in the corner. Um, you know, you could, that's yeah. what I would say is like he's weirdly successful based off of less so his defensive abilities and more. It's it's almost like his his there's more room for him on the ice because there's one less player and he's all he's obviously someone who can drive the play. He's a playmaker, yeah. so I think they kind of see in the, it's to me it's very similar in the same way kind of like Marshawn is successful yeah. because he just he sees the ice very well. Yeah, I think that's it, and you know I. I just I don't for some reason see them wanting to win enough. Like it's it's a weird thing. Like I I see Matthews and I see Marner. They got they got all the talent in the world, but whenever I see them play in the playoffs and they you know take a big hit or they you know lose a game or two, 
I don't see that emotion that you'd expect from a guy who wants to win the Stanley Cup, and I think that kind of propagates down the chain. To add to that, I think there's also still, um, you know, I'm trying to separate my biases here because obviously we hate the Leafs and yeah. like, but I, I for some reason see this. And the funny, that's funny thing is because I don't really hate the like I, I don't, I don't like their top six and like I, and I mean their core. Like I don't like the Matthews, I don't like the Marner, I don't like the Nealanders, and I don't like the Tavares, just because that's who like represents them when they beat us, right? Yeah. And that's like. You know the guys who kind of talk trash and stuff like that. Yeah, and we have our own of, personal history yeah. with Tavares, for yeah, example, exactly. who like wouldn't give us the time of day. Yeah, exactly. So there's there's, there's like but there's the, team rivalry. Yeah, it, but the thing with them is like I I don't I see them kind of as like an elite in that organization where I I see there just being bad chemistry throughout the team insofar as that like the stars go to dinner. The stars together go to and, dinner together. Know, like, they, the Ang balls don't get invited. Yeah, like like you always see Marner and Matthews talking on the bench, kind of like huddled over each other, and like everyone else is kind of just on the other side, kind of talking together. And I I see this kind of you know lack of cohesiveness in the team that I don't think can get them through the playoffs. Like they might make it through. You know, God forbid they beat the Habs this year and they, they make it through round one. You know, I, I don't see it going much further. Like, I, I see them being a um, either a one and done or, um, you know, something like that. Or we beat them just because I, I just, I don't see that team being able to chemistry through the playoffs like a ha- like the Habs can. Well, like, that- the Habs, like, when you look at the Habs, like, the first line and the fourth line uh, and everything in between... Like these guys are best friends. Well, the, this is kind of, and I always criticize the, the, you know, like like anyone who goes on like the media and says this too. But like, if there's gonna be one team that reminds me of like, uh, like 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 a group of like soldiers, it's the Canadians. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like yeah. I hate when they like blow it up to yeah, that like it's hockey. Yeah. But it's like it really is like there's something different there because I I just I don't know. I feel like every day different guys are hanging out, but not because there's no identity in terms of like who's friends with who, but just because they're all friends. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't be surprised, obviously, if guys like you know Weber and Price, who are both in their you know early mid thirties from BC, hung out, and you know the young guys like Suzuki and Kakeniemi hung out. Like that that wouldn't surprise me. But it's it's the fact that like then you'd also see. Deno in with them, and then he'd be with Weber and Price, and then and like these guys cross yeah. over so much. They're just like a big family. Yeah, I I can see it even strided more than how I described it. I could kind of see it as Marner and and Matthews as like this political, this like elite bourgeoisie, <laughs> okay. And then you have a second tier citizen where it's like you know I could see Tavares hanging out with Neilander and Hyman. Yeah, they and almost then, look at your points for the year. Yeah, and then you throw Riley in there, kind of. And then after that, it's everyone else. Right. And, like, I, I don't know why I get that feeling, but I, I can just tell when they play that, you know, I'll ta- I'll give an example of last year when I forget who it was got, you know, got hit. And, like, you know, Matthews being a leader on the team kind of turned a blind eye to it. And I, I honestly don't think he cares. Like, I think he sees his teammates Oh, it was uh, when Petrie uh, hit um, Hyman. Hyman, yeah. So, like, even a guy on his line, you know what I mean? I, I, I see Matthews as basically seeing Mitch Marner and Sheldon Keith as his team, and, like, that's basically it. Yeah, well, know? being almost being, like, we know we're it, and you're bringing in pieces to make us succeed, not the yeah, other way around. Exactly. Like, the team is them, and the rest of them, like... 
I know what you mean. Yeah, I just I don't think that that kind of philosophy, they're here to work for me. Yeah, I don't think yeah. that philosophy can can win them you know games consecutively under that kind of pressure. Never mind series after series after series. Oh, I agree. Yeah, and like with you know with the Habs, um, you know I think the Leafs kind of forgot what Gallagher's like, and you know I think yeah. we're gonna have a big. Surprise. I think we forget what Gallagher's like. Yeah, to we a do. Certain degree. Oh, yeah, we do. We haven't seen yeah. him in about thirty games. Uh, yeah, basically. Uh, so I, I'd love to jump into this because uh, I want to do like what we we would ideally like for our lineup. Yeah. And I'll so yeah, in... we'll go. We'll do yours first, then we'll jump into mine, and we'll contrast. Yeah, because well, I, I wanted to, I didn't really like do it. I wanted to do yeah. it live. That's why. So there's two lines that are just guaranteed for me. The first line to target. Okay, throw me a piece of paper. Yeah. Here, hang on. All right. Um, to Gallagher is without a doubt the. Uh, yeah, that's the first thing. line. Yeah. It's that's a line that is a top three, you know, uh, stats line in terms of advanced stats and everything. It's a possession line. It's a de- it's a line that can score. It's a line that can defend. It's everything. Um, are we going in order? I I'm just kind of like, are you thinking out. of the matchup or no matchup? Um, no, I'm not. I'm not putting the matchup indirectly, but then I was going to talk about that after. But okay. for me, it's Tatarda and O'Gallagher in the first line. Um, I went right to my fourth line, which is going to 100% be the Evans, Lekkanen, and Byron line. And now my middle six is interesting. So it's going to happen kind of by like, uh, I would say, like, yeah, more like working it backwards, kind of like by process of elimination. I'm going to have Nick Suzuki on the second line, and I'm leaving the third line center open for a minute here. Uh, Toffoli's going with... Suzuki. Yeah, on the same me. so far. Um, I'm going to have Anderson up there with them, yeah. even though I personally don't love it, but that's going to be my line. Now, the third line for me, we have a lot of forwards to choose from. I'm going to start off with Kotkaniemi in the middle. I'm going to I'm gonna explain myself in a minute. Definitely Perry. And then the last winger, this is the hard part. Yeah. For me... I don't... Well, this is also, like, regarding, like, I don't know how the cap situation would work, but I I can't even really... I might put Stahl on the left wing and have him flip with uh, Kotkaniemi. So my third line being Stahl, Kotkaniemi, and uh, Perry. Okay. So, yeah, I'll go through my lines again, then I want to hear yours, but Tatardano, Gallagher, Anderson, Toffoli, and Suzuki, Stahl, Kotkaniemi, Perry, Byron Evans... And Lekkonen. So, yeah. What's what's yours look so, like? So you know, mine's gonna be very similar to yours. Obviously, um, I I kind of ma- did it with the with the matchup, but we'll go over that in a, in mm-hmm. a second. I have Tatarda and O'Gallagher to fully Suzuki Anderson. See so, you now with and, and fourth line, obviously I'm keeping that Byron Evans and uh, Lekkonen in there. But I think I'm gonna go in the end. I know we were talking about recently about you know keeping the vet in there and keeping Stall in there, and you know I. I'm kind of on the fence with this. That's why I won't like disagree really with your pick. But I I wrote Perry KK Armia. Okay. Um, just because I'm you know I, Kotkaniemi had an absolutely abysmal year. Like there's no doubt about it. And you know the reason we took Stall was clearly for the playoffs. We didn't take Stall to like win more regular season games. Yeah. We needed some leadership going into the playoffs, uh, along with you know uh, Perry and and Weber and Price and all that. But you know I just. I think of Kotkaniemi struggling last year uh, in, a, in his in his um, sophomore year there, and then how he played in the playoffs and how that you know that physical 
I think what catalyzed him there in the playoffs was how physical the game became and mm-hmm. how he, you know, he was really throwing hits yeah. and uh, really digging in. And, you know, I, it, I would be, I, I want to see how at least, I, I want to see him, I want to see him play for at least one game and see how it goes. I'd keep yes. his leash very short. Like I would, I would make sure, you know, him and Evans are basically on, you know, no give on the leash. Like if, if, which I'm not them, worried about Evans. Yeah. Evans, I'm not worried about, but still like those two bottom six guys, like this bottom six isn't really a bottom six in term in, in playing Toronto. Like we need our bottom six to like really play because like, That's we're it. not going to beat them with a top six team. No, we're not going to, we're, if it becomes a shootout, we're not going to win. The no, game. we won't win. And it and, needs to become a, yes, there, I think it's going to be high scoring, but I think it's also going to be kind of like more of a slug fest. It's going to be a lot of banging and rebounds and a lot of just gritty fights that turn yeah, into goals. Exactly. That's why I have, you know, big bodies like Armia there and and Kotkaniemi. Like I would literally tell Kotkaniemi like, you know, I'm 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 letting you loose here. Like go like really like, you know, bang, you know, if Riley Nash is playing that 3C, like just go like, you know, really really, really throw him into the boards there. Um but, you know, I I can see why you want stall there because I no. just can't ju- like I'm thinking about it from a, um, like like a realistic in terms of like what like we said what we brought him in for. I can't justify not playing him off the bat. I have no problem pulling yeah. him out if he's not effective. But in my head, it's like you know what if we've got Kotkaniemi playing with Stall and Perry, it's the exact same thing like you're doing with Armia. That's a that's a tall line realistically and a, a relatively physical line, but it's just. I, it's it's hard. That's the only line, that third line that I'm yeah, really my, iffy on. Here, this is another reason why I wanted to start Kotkaniemi anyway and, and just keep him on like a very, very uh, short leash is because I'm worried about if Stahl plays like shit, um, I would rather have I would rather have Kotkaniemi start than him think we've lost faith in him and yeah. him not start and then play him and he play like shit as well. Right. I would rather play Kotkaniemi give him the impression that we have faith in him so that he goes and plays like he did last season. Mm-hmm. Then if he ends up playing like crap, you just yank him out for good and you throw stall in there and like, you know, no harm, no foul in right. terms so of the he'd team. rather not put the pressure of being like the hero on him. Exactly. Okay, that see, that's fair. And like, again, these are like in the moment lineups. Obviously, yeah. it's like not the uh, the number, like it's not etched in stone. There is that, oh, so, you know, for the, you know, basically... You guys might have noticed also Caulfield's not in the lineup. Yeah, there. like I, I wanted to get to that too. Well, you know, let's go with that first, then I'll bring up uh, yeah. that. But basically, Caulfield not being in the lineup really just comes down to the fact that he does one thing right now. And, like, I don't think it's really... I mean, it, there's two factors for me. One, I don't think, you know, like he's rounded out his NHL game in 10 games. I don't think, like, he, that's that's fair to him. Yeah. In the same way with Kotkaniemi, it's not fair to turn around and say... All right, perfect. He got ten games under his belt, of which a couple of them were essentially just like, you know, non-factor yeah, games, where like you know we knew for a good amount of time, even before we clinched, that we clinched, and also just kind of like that same pressure with Kotkaniemi of like, all right, you're gonna go in and uh, you're gonna score a goal per game in the playoffs, yeah. never having played in the NHL before. It's it's just not fair to me. Yeah, no. I agree. But the other side of it too is that like it's hard to justify taking someone out right now for a guy who, like I said, has played 10 games. Like, yeah. he's going to be the future of the team. It's it's clear he had five points in 10 games with four goals. The guy's an NHL player. Like, he's ready. But it's hard to say, you know, Corey Perry, who's a Stanley Cup champion, who's won the Rocket Richard, which means, you know, he puts up goals, 
who's scored 50 goals in the NHL, who's probably going to be a Hall of Famer, triple gold guy, you know, key piece for Dallas last year. It's hard for me to justify taking him out for Cole Caulfield at this moment. I And, and again, the cap situation, too. We don't know how it works. Yeah, and, the, you know, that is, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head there. The, the thing for me is that, you know, specifically against this team, like against, you know, Edmonton, I, I might say something different. I, you know, probably not, but it might have been a bit more of a nuanced conversation. But for me right now, it's like we said, we're not beating this team uh, top six versus top six. And the, the fact of the matter is, is that our bottom six is going to have to really produce if we want to win this series. And we can't really afford to have, um, you know, a guy uh, play on our right wing that is going to not contribute to the non-goal part of the game. Like he's well, not going to, he's not effective five on five uh, when he's not shooting the puck. And, you know, the fact of the matter is the bottom six, uh, you know, the the players they're playing, you know, you look at Toronto's bottom six, um, you know, they know their role. Their role is to, you know, make sure we don't score and uh, wait for Matthews and, and Tavares to, you know, get, you know, uh, you know, get rested and then go back out there and score the goals. So, you know, Caulfield won't have those opportunities he did in the top six. And I think it's basically just a waste of a player down there. And like to sub to, to you know, put him in instead of a big guy like Armia you know, who can take the hits from Simmons, uh, who could, you know, push Simmons around, who can, you know, you know, really, you know, body Spezza, body Kerfoot. Like, I well, just see it as a Pittsburgh. waste. You know, like, we beat Pittsburgh by bullying them. That's the thing is, I don't need Armia necessarily to, to, to score here. I mean, like, I, because, you know, Armia brings a lot more to the game than, than scoring. He's a very clutch player, but, you yeah. know, you know, besides that, you know, he has upside. But Caulfield, you know, if he's not, you know, you know, floating around, you know, the, the top of the circle there waiting for a pass doesn't do much. And, you know, the fact is, is that on playing the bottom six, Toronto's bottom six, he's not going to have those opportunities. Well, that's it. it I was going to say the same thing applies to Stahl and Caulfield right now that I've mentioned before applies to Kovalchuk. If they're not getting significant minutes, don't play them. Yeah, That's kind of why I, I, I don't see Stahl playing under the top nine. I'm still iffy on him being in the bottom six in general, but again, like I can't justify him not playing the beginning of the playoffs. Yeah, I after two, I my my run time with these guys are two games. First two games, whoever's not playing well is not playing the next two. Yeah, you know, if let's say we put in Stall and he plays like shit for two games, Army is coming in. That's it, and just make it a pecking order basically. Yeah, um, I do want to jump into that little bit of research we did here, yeah. so. Long story short, we basically did a compilation of scoring stats, so just goals and assists, but of Montreal and Toronto players. And basically what we did is we had their um, goals, assists, and points from the regular season and then also within the series. And we kind of compared players to themselves in terms of what percent of the team's total points they they contributed to. So, for example... um, I'll use for Montreal the easiest example would be Tyler Toffoli scored, you know, 26% of all Canadians' goals this year. And then comparing that to goals... Minus Toronto games. No, they include... It was all the games. Yeah, so all regular season games. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now the Toronto games on their own, basically Tyler Toffoli, using that same one again, um, he would put up, I believe here, I have it right here. Um, Second... Yeah, Toffoli would be a part of 19.5% yeah. of all Canadians' goals. So, like, 
you know, it's it's not you know a, a negative per se. Yeah, it's like we're we're just he's in in you know in theory he's down, quote unquote down six percent of how his regular scoring pace is. And the only reason I did this because I noticed there's a lot of people who are harping on certain players from both sides. So I know Thomas Tatar gets a lot of flack. I know Paul Byron gets a lot of flack. I know, uh, I mean, Jonathan Druin does get a lot of flack, but he's we're going to keep him a non-factor for now. But there's certain guys who just really kind of get a lot of pressure from the fans and media. Yeah, just to make sure they understand the stat, though, like what we're doing is we have the average that these guys contribute through you know numerous points, assists, goals. Mm-hmm. What they contribute in terms of the team's total stat throughout the regular season and we're comparing that to how the residual to them compared to how they play against the Leafs is. Yeah. Just to see, like, which guys come in clutch against the Leafs. That's what we're looking exactly. at. Exactly. And and what's the difference? You know, like, ideally, um, you get a team of guys who are completely on pace with, like, the, yeah. the Leafs as they do with the regular season instead of having some highs and lows. Yeah. Let's just mention the caveats here first. When you talk, there's not many. That's the thing. The stats very useful. Mm. The only thing we have to kind of keep in mind here is, especially on the Leafs, when you got when you got guys like Matthews and Marner, um, you know these guys produce so much that you know they don't look like they're you know much more effective against the Habs just because they're so effective against everyone. Right. Right. So like uh, that also goes back to what I was saying though is like ideally you have a team of just zeros. Exactly. Because yeah. I, if your team is on pace yeah. with what it normally does, so it, it does, it, like I understand what you're saying, it's yeah. like they can't just, you know, double their production against the team and then not double it yeah, against it's just, everyone. Yeah, the, the point is is that if you, look at, if you look at this in a vacuum and don't, like, interpret the stat, mm-hmm. it'll look like Pierre Engvall is, like, the kryptonite to the Montreal Well, that's Canadians. exactly it. But, yeah, so, uh, yeah. But, but the, that being said, we're going to kind of break this down for you guys. Yeah, so there, there's just a couple guys I wanted to mention. So, like, a big one for me, and it's because... Because everyone goes after him. Thomas Tatar, he's he's not a playoff performer historically. Like he hasn't really showed up in the playoffs throughout his career. However, um, when looking at Toronto this year, he's up 17 and a bit percent in terms of goal scoring. Not not points. I mean his point production is up by about a percent. But the guys putting the puck in the net, like I said, he was tied for the lead against Toronto over the season. So that's one of those little things of Thomas Tatar is not getting benched. For yeah. those people who are suggesting Thomas Tatar be benched, that's kind of like failing the sniff test a little bit. And it's like you're looking at literally the the you know your your score app or your TSN app after the game, yeah. and you're looking for the hat trick. Yeah, I, and a thing to point out with that stat is like, yeah, he's up seventeen percent um, in goals, right? You said, yeah, but he's only up one percent in points. But that makes sense because if he's scoring, he's not getting the assist on the goal. Well, that's right? it. So I, it bounces I just mean, out to about zero. Well, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Like for example, looking at some of the assists, Petrie's down from his regular season pace, down eleven percent in goal scoring. But like I said, he put up a ton of assists yeah. against so it Toronto. Out. It's about eighteen percent increase. Yeah, exactly. The the guys who I really want to focus on, I don't really want to focus on uh, the guys like Petrie who are like you said, down in goals but up in assists mm-hmm. because it's always I want to focus on kind of like what I'm I'm calling quote unquote significant players and I'm I'm saying that with like no absolute value bars. I'm saying really, really important and really, really negatively yeah. impact. So these are guys who are straight greens across. So for me green is above zero percent in all three categories, goals, assists and points. And then also guys who are completely in the red. So just to give people an idea 
On the Canadians, we have two guys who are just completely in the green. That would be um, Paul Byron and Brett Kulak. And I think it's important that we bring that up because these are guys who come in and out of the lineup. These are also guys who get a lot of, um, I would say, unfair criticism. And I'm happy that it worked out this way because it, it really shows how the stat can become useful. Um, Paul Byron is someone who's going to be like questioned as whether or not he should be playing. And I think not this alone, but this is just yet another reason to argue in favor of Paul Byron. And even more so, this works well for Brett Kulak. Yeah. Brett Kulak is constantly put kind of under the knife by the media as, is he an NHL defenseman? Is he not? This is a guy who regularly plays in the top four with Jeff Petrie successfully. This is now someone who we can say confidently that is a statistic, uh, statistical um, advantage in terms of playing the Leafs. And again, this is also someone who's showed... He knows his role. He knows how to play. I personally like his style, and he's a very modern defenseman. Yeah, he's he fast, but he's gritty, and he can score yeah. in these situations. Yeah, he embraces his role, too, which is important. He's not one of those guys that's going to try to snake his way into the first pair. He knows what he is, and, you know, he's a clutch defenseman. And the most important part about, uh, you know, him pay- playing in that bottom pair for us, uh, granted Weber plays the first few games, is, um, you know, the guy is not at all a liability defensively he's a very very strong defenseman and he will clear the net and he'll throw cross checks and he'll literally he'll get under their skin and that's exactly what we need to play with Rom- romanov there and um i still refuse to call him romanov but yeah, yeah. No, he's anyway, gonna be the romanov, romanov. dynasty yeah. for like <laughs> but yeah so i you know i i think he i think you're right he gets unfair criticism and uh, i guarantee you he's gonna come and clutch this series i i just feel it yeah i i that's it and you know looking, that shows it too so. yeah and and Looking at the guys who are completely in the red, so I, I have two different kind of um, camps of this. So Shea Weber offensively has been in the red completely against Toronto, but this is a good example of that does not mean you don't play Shea Weber. Yeah. What that means though is that's even more of an argument to pray to to pray <laughs> to uh, play <laughs> a little Freudian slip there um, to play Brett Kulak because you're at least going to balance out that positive with that negative. However. You know, here's three guys that are in the red offensively against Toronto this season. Um, Gustafson, Armia, and Evans. Oh, also, I think before we even go forward, this is worth mentioning. Um, The stats, I followed the NHL's guidelines in terms of minimum significant games. So it's typically a quarter of the season. This year, that'd be 19 games. So guys like Caulfield, Belzile, like they, they don't, that's not fair. Like me, you know, correcting for 82 games per year on Belzile, who had one point in two games. He's not a 41 point producer. Yeah. You know, he's, he's not an NHLer. So that's just worth mentioning. But yeah, so Evans, Gustafson, and Armia, these are factors. That 19 I'm, games, a quarter of 56. I'm pretty sure it is. Did I screw that up? Yeah, I think so. 56 times a quarter. Oh, 14. Sorry, I misspoke. I was looking at... Uh, either way, it's the same... Or one of you fuckers message us <laughs> in Gmail. I'll just it, it's, I believe it's closer to that... Uh, hang on. Yeah, it's tw- It's 21 for yeah. the uh, regular 82-game mm. schedule. I, I it, When I did it, it was 14. Yeah. I think I said 19 because I was looking at Gustafson's 29 games. But anyway, um, Gustafson, Evans, and Armia. These are three guys who offensively are in the red. Um, Gustafson, my first one. If How many you're, games did he play in Toronto? 
How many games did he play against yeah. Toronto? Do we know that? Yep, we have it right here. Hang on. He played, because we played a total of 10. He didn't actually play a single game against Toronto. But um, either way, like it does, like that. That's an yeah. it's a zero. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he's not. He's not yet. Like that, not That's yet. the thing. He's is not proven to play. If, well. if he, if you're still in the negative and you haven't played against them, yeah. Like it, it should be a neutral. But it's, mm-hmm. it's he just didn't produce the way yeah, Montreal wanted him to produce. Before this I forget, because I'm, I'm gonna lose it. But the Shea Weber thing is a good example, like you said, of like you gotta kind of interpret this stat yes. just because, you know, it makes sense that Shea Weber's you know, kind of down against Toronto mm-hmm. because, you know, we went 3-6-1 and one against them. And, like, he's playing well, against, you know, Matthews, Marner, Hyman, and Tavares, uh, Nylander, and uh, Foligno. So, you know, it, it makes sense. If you have a losing uh, a losing record against the team, your top pair defenseman probably uh, didn't have a uh, better than regular season well, that's uh, it, right? it's point like... production against that team. So that's one of those ones you kind of have to interpret. You know, like I said, it, there's a few cases where you kind of have to interpret the stat, and, you know, Weber's one of them. Like, we're not, you know, we're not benching Shane. Yeah, and I just corrected something on here because it's a very good point. I don't know why it did this. Um, Gustafsson shouldn't have been counted. He didn't play. Yeah, that's what I was saying. There's yeah. no other player on my list did that. It was supposed to be only players yeah. who played against yeah. Toronto. He slipped in by accident. Um, Either way, I mean, I don't think yeah. we're looking at Gustafsson. No, I'm I think, saying, yeah, I don't I think, think the, he should the, play. The seventh D we're looking at is Merrill. I right. And that, that just leaves Evans and Armia, which this is kind of why I'm saying uh, when I did my lineup, I knew that we had this table. And I, I basically knew about Armia. I was saying, you know what? He's someone who has struggled to find offense against Toronto specifically. And when I say, like, struggled, you know, we're not talking about, like, he's down... You know, a little bit. It's he's down seven percent in scoring, four percent in assists, and overall five percent in his yeah. points. And I, I also just want to be clear because I know we're saying a lot of numbers for everything. When I say he's down seven percent, I mean seven percent of his total contribution. So like to using yeah. using easy numbers for everyone. If Montreal scores a hundred goals and Tyler Toffoli gets ten of them, he's got a ten percent score. And then against Toronto, if his number is let's say two percent there's a difference of eight there yeah. that's the 10 minus the two so when it's down seven percent it's quite significant because it's his kind of uh portion of the pizza yeah exactly. that's being so pulled it, out. It, what he means there is it doesn't really matter if we score less against toronto like that that doesn't influence the it's stat relative because it's yeah. relative to the amount the pool that we score against the given team versus exactly. to the pool we score in the regular season so the the uh, actual manager the goals doesn't really matter but um, it's an interesting point you made with Armia and like maybe, you know, we'll talk about a few more players and then maybe we'll get into it is I wonder if the matchup has anything to do with that. I'm sure it does. And it's also because of where he's put in the lineup every, I mean, he's been injured too, but when he does play, it's with Suzuki and Suzuki's line is going to get one of the top two pairs. And again, I, I've said this many times. You've said it many times. Army is not a top six no. guy. He's a hyper talented player and he's got, you know, everything that a good NHLer should have. I just see him as a middle six forward. And that, when I say middle six, I mean a third line player. Like, you know, when I say elite, these are these are all going to be like NHL 21 basically <laughs> words, but an elite player is a first line player. When I say top six, I mean he's a second line player. It's the guy you could always basically say like 
you know, the line you're on, plus you get yeah, called he up. he could play up if needed, exactly. but ideally, but ideally Yeah, like a, like a fourth-line guy should be playing on the third when there's an injury, not the second. Yeah, it's like know? Armia, you know, Armia could play on the second line, but, like, on your ideal team, he's playing third. Yeah, and some teams would even be fourth. Yeah. But, yes, ideally, he's on your third line, and that's just kind of where he falls. So, like, for me, you know, if I have to, and again, go back to and say, all right, well, you know, we, you know, we're going into this series with Toronto. I'm stuck between Eric Stahl and Yoel Armia. Yeah, I'm. You know that that's just another reason for me to kind of trust. You know the uh, the history of the NHL here and say Eric Stahl's a winner. Um, again, it's not to punish Armia, but it's just to say let's let's give ourselves as a team the best chance at winning. And after two games, if it doesn't go our way. You make a change. Yeah, I'd have one, no problem with that... him in there. I love Armia, but like, there are just like you know undeniable truths to it as well, where he is a bit streaky. Yeah, and sure. you know if he gets hot, let him get hot. But there, there's also parts of it too where, you know, when I see him out there with Toffoli and Suzuki, it just it feels out of place. Yeah, it feels out of place. And also, I think the next thing we we will look at and we'll kind of bring it up sporadically throughout the series. Is it'd be interesting to you know contrast this with how these guys perform irrespective of teams, but in the playoffs. You know, what I mean, yeah. like, that'll obviously hurt a player like Thomas Tatar, mm-hmm. but it'll greatly help guys like Kotkaniemi. It'll help guys like Armia. Right, and um, it all you know again looking at not just the Canadians. There's always outliers, like for example, players who just like don't get to the playoffs. Yeah, it's just Jack, this, I- Jack Eichel. Exactly, for it's just it's a stat like this that we thought we'd bring up because it matters more in in terms of this season specifically just with how the fact we played Toronto 10 times yeah like, and for the first two rounds should the Canadians go we're going to continue this so let's say we play yeah. Edmonton we're going to do this again to see yeah, if there's exactly. any difference so you know in a in a you know in a in a normal season I think what we would have done is we would have you know done the matchup but then also looked at um you know how these guys play in the playoffs irrespective yeah. of the team but the the fact of the matter is we played Toronto 10 games of 56 so this analysis of Toronto versus everyone else in our division makes a lot of sense just because we have such a large sample yeah, size if it was three games it'd be yeah very it'd different. be impossible to make it, it, it was this is something we can only do this yeah, year basically. just 10 games we can have a pretty good idea of who's performing well against Toronto because like you know 10 games you get a pretty good idea you get a bit of a you know mix around with the lineups and you you know you can kind of uh, you don't have that argument of like, oh, that guy had a bad game, you know. What I mean, exactly. Yeah. And so, j- just to kind of be fair and say, how yeah, let's go through them all. Yeah, but the, to interpret the results of Toronto now, um, Matthews was green across the board. Yeah. He was actually he would score, you know, one percent more in terms of goals, which is the, like as you mentioned before, that that's hard to do. Like that's it. That's crazy with the amount of goals he scored that he was yeah. still up. His assists and his points went a pretty good amount up too. So like he, he's just putting up a lot of points against Montreal. There's no other way to put it. Like he he scores a lot overall. I think when you correct for an 82 game season, he was uh, scoring at about a 105 point pace. But um, yeah, he's he just he does score a lot against Montreal. So this is a uh, I like to call it a Craig Button moment. <laughs> but the Montreal Canadiens need to learn how to shut down Austin Matthews yeah. if they want to win. Um, that's the first one. The second kind of all green player would be uh, Jake Muzzin. That was one that I found kind of surprising, but you know he's up across the board, two percent in scoring, nearly seven in assists, and you know like we mentioned before, he was tied for the team lead in assists. So again, there's certain guys who do just play better 
against certain teams. Um, the thing that I found interesting was there's those are the only two full greens on the team. Everyone else is, you know, here and there improved. Like you said, some players trade off goals for assists. Some players, you know, their points go up in general, but not to a certain yeah. significant degree. But we've got a couple guys who are just all red. Uh, one of them being Kerfoot. We've got Felino, who I don't know if he actually played a game. And now I'm double checking it because I think he played one. one oh, he two played. Games. He played two. Yeah, yeah. So okay, the only player I'm going to leave out there is Nash because he didn't play. But Felino, Simmons, Kerfoot, and Hutton. So these. The reason I want to talk about those guys is that these are all guys they just brought in. Kerfoot little bit removed but the idea is that's their bottom six Mm -hmm. you know Felino, Simmons, Kerfoot, Hutton's a bottom pair defenseman like these are all those gritty guys they brought in and uh that says a lot to me that like these guys aren't producing against the Canadians so that that kind of goes back to my argument of why this isn't kind of like an open and shut case where you know everyone points out and says like the Toronto Maple Leafs, this is the best built team we've seen in years. And basically, I disagree. I don't think it's the best. And I don't mean best built Toronto team. They're saying this is the best built team we've seen. Yeah, and that's like, a bit ridiculous. I just don't They I definitely don't They definitely added some pieces. I, I still see major holes. And like I said, I think it's mostly, um, you know, I think they're, you know, especially their, their fourth line there. Like that is an elderly line. And, and also... Um, I just I don't see the, the chemistry that's required to push you through you know four rounds of playoffs like I don't know I just I, I don't see it being their year and you know I think um, they're gonna have to wait a few years just to you know allow a more organic bottom six to arise with their with their guys like do they uh, have the time and money for that well I, I think they're gonna have to like I, I think like you know I think they're gonna have to get rid of a guy like Nylander or something like that and and pull in some cap space just to get guys to play with Mikhaev and all that stuff just well to... and and that's the thing is is if that's what you're doing and like I I do agree they need to move on from some accessory pieces that cost too much Muzzin and Nylander being yeah. two of them they I think together they make roughly 15 million dollars it's like by the time all that happens their uh, like their charity contract that they have on uh, Mike uh, Mike Riley yeah, Morgan, Morgan Riley, Riley is gonna be up. He makes five mil, so he's gonna be easily eight mil right away. I mean, like looking at like John Carlson and these yeah. guys who Thomas Shabbat, they all make eight mil. Like that's his gonna be his minimum for sure. Matthews will be coming up. Marnell will be coming up. Tavares will be up a little later. You know, like they're gonna have to re-sign a goalie eventually. And if Campbell stays at this pace, he's gonna want a massive payday. The guy basically, like, save them eats, from the yeah. Guillotine, and he also basically. ate scraps for the entirety of his twenties just to stay yeah. in the NHL. He really had a rough go of it for a while. There, you know, and if all of their draft picks work, that's the assumption, right? You're yeah. gonna need all of your defensive prospects to pan out. Liljegren, Sanded. Your forward prospects of like, um, you know, Robertson. Nicholas Robertson, Rodion Emirov, like these guys, like you need them all to pan out and you need to keep, basically keep having them pan out so that you never have contracts to pay. Otherwise, this thing falls apart and like, you know, it, it's easy well, to that's criticize. That's the gamble you, you make with these players. I mean, that's like if you, if you want a Marner, a Matthews, a Tavares, and a Nylander, like you're really going to have to eat shit in the bottom six and well, like it. really pick up. You know, guys at the trade deadline that don't cost you much, but you know the fact of the matter is, is it's it's tough to keep a team together and keep chemistry going when 
you know, half the team is in and out every year. And like, um, well, that's it. It's it's very different, and that's what I'm, I just keep coming back to is like, the playoffs are like okay. The the regular season is a marathon. Like the playoffs is a sprint. It's like just get it done, you know. Yeah. And like the, you know, this that's team, Habs hockey. And but that's <laughs> it. Is like the Habs are not a marathon team. They are not a sustainable fire. No. But they can burn for a few weeks, yeah, you know. Strong, very very strong. And then, you know, then the injury set in. Well, old old Schmee's ankle comes yeah, uh, exactly. comes reckoning back up. Uh, yeah. Carey Price goes into butterfly and hears something tear. Yeah, it's not sure if it's his pads or his kneecap. <laughs> It's just the, all these guys, like, you know, we, we've never had a forward for over, you know, $7 million. No. And, like, there's there's a lot of criticism there as well because this is a league where, you know, almost every team has a player that's making money. Um, but at the same time, there there is going to be a point where, you know, I, I personally think Tyler Toffoli is on one of, if not the best contracts right now in the NHL, yeah, at least this year. Sure. Um, but it, it's just one of those things where there, well, there's... There's a 45-goal season for him. Yeah, basically, yeah. essentially. So. Um, the the thing I just... I, I don't know. For me, I'm, I'm very happy being considered, you know, you know, by the media, by the fans, by everyone. I'm, I'm okay being considered already eliminated yeah. because that's exactly that, where that we were last said, let's year. Jump into the, let's jump into the matchups a little bit here. Yeah. I, you know, I'll, I'll jump in first. I, I think, um, you know, going head-to-head with Matthews, um, you know, I kind of want Deno there. Yeah, 100%. Um, just, you know, obviously first two games were away, so we don't have that last uh, last change. So it's, you know, it's not always going to be perfect. But, you know, for the most part, I feel like that's kind of overstated sometimes. Like, yeah, it's going to suck sometimes in the offensive, in the defensive zone. But, um, you know, for the most part, we can get Deno out there against Matthews and, and Marner. Um, the reason I want that is, you know, twofold. One, you know, Deno is going to win those key face-offs and not let Matthews get that shot off quick that he likes to get off off the face-off where mm-hmm. he just snaps it quickly and for some reason just lasers by the goal every time. Yeah. Uh, but also with Hyman being, being um, you know, healthy now, I, I want Gallagher on that guy. You know, that that's basically like a doppelganger situation except Gallagher's kind of just the original yeah. and better and, like, you know, not doesn't have any of those. Oh, like, there's another one. Sorry, Hyman's gone if they don't... Yeah, uh, they got to pay him. They don't but, figure it out. Yeah, but, and um, that's a Connor Brown situation all over again. Yeah, so, um, you know, I'm sure the Senators are ready to pick him up. But, um, yeah, so I, I want that matchup for sure. I also, you know, that goes down into... I don't want Suzuki... Uh, playing Matthews too much. I, th- I think that'll, you know, where Dano doesn't make up for the size against Matthews, his his ability to win those draws just, you know, completely yeah. overtakes that. Whereas Suzuki, like, yeah, he's a little bit heavier than Dano, but, you know, he his face-offs are nowhere near there. Yeah. And, like, Matthews isn't particularly good in the face-off circle. And, like, if we can use that against him even a little bit, I mean, he's not terrible, but, like... Yeah, I'm going to look up. I want to see how know, they ended up on the season. Um, you know, I, I, I think at least, you know, if we have... Suzuki in the low 40s, you know, 42, 43%, which is, I'm guessing, where he is. Uh, I'd rather just have that extra faith in, in Deno getting that and, you know, having that, you know, that's our puck possession line, you know. I, yep. You know, it, it's odd because usually that's He ended your, with a 44%. Yeah, so it's not great, but... Um, Compared to Deno, who... Like 51, He 52. ended the season at 52.5. Yeah, so that's good. So, you know, that's what we need. Um but yeah, so I want that matchup going in. And, you know, that also goes into the second line there. I, I want, you know, Anderson's going to be big um, against Felino Matthew's there. Matthew's finished at 52. 
Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, he's also huge. Yeah, so. he just leans into the puck, I guess. I thought he was like, I knew he was like high 40s, but I didn't think yeah, he crossed no, he's 50. 52. Yeah, so that's pretty bad. That's good. But um, yeah, so it definitely that, that you know, makes my point even more. We really can't have Suzuki there. No. But, can't. you know, I want Anderson furthermore against uh, Foligno for sure. You know, yep. like having Foligno against Gallagher, I think would just be a recipe for disaster because... You know, Foligno's been in this league long enough to know what Gallagher can do to a guy's psyche. Yeah. And he's probably very prepared for that. And, and you know, he does just it going, just as well. He does it just Literally as well. Just he's as well. just much, much bigger. And yeah, I was going to say, he's just six foot two. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I don't want to see that matchup, especially if it gets chippy. Yeah. yeah I'd plus much Anderson, rather Anderson. Foligno have that Columbus connection where they're going to know each other's game. Yeah. So Anderson can kind of follow him a little better. Yeah. Plus, I just. I, Anderson will also just absolutely torch him in I, his speed in a Well, race, that's so. it. I was going to say, uh, that, that was one thing I just wanted to mention because i know i'm gonna forget to say it at some point in the podcast um if i'm gonna put money down on the most significant player for the canadians it's gonna be josh anderson if he gets going there's a very good chance yeah we'll get into our clutch factors in a sec let's just get okay. through the matchups just so yeah, we yeah. don't go on tangents and I, we lose our train of thought here but um the third and fourth line like i said that's kind of not super relevant, but Toffoli on that second line again, that'll be a matchup with Nylander. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Toffoli, obviously hyper-talented, great scorer, 28 goals this season, but he also has enough defensive prowess to take tougher. Nylander, yeah. So, He's a little tougher than Nylander, Yeah, too. I also, you know, I, I I think Anderson will be able to control Tavares a lot better than Gallagher could. I agree. Um, so, yeah, that that's my kind of thinking with that. The, the, you know, the third and fourth line, that's kind of going to be in and out with their third and fourth line. You can't really perfectly match those up all no. the time, uh, just, you know, based on strategy, especially since we I tend mean, to play our our bottom six a lot more than, than the yeah, least. Yeah, and our fourth line, like, it, you know, you see it all over Instagram, too. Young versus old. Yeah, and it's one of the best fourth lines out there, not just, like, because the last few games, but just, you know, there's you see a lot of polls on Instagram, which... I know it's nothing official, but you know, if there's hundreds of people voting, there's hundreds of people voting. It doesn't matter what the source is. They're one of the top fourth lines in the in the league. It's because yeah. they have some good speed, some good, you know, physicality and some good finish. Yeah, Lekkanen is just gonna I, I guarantee you, yeah, we'll get that into a second. I don't wanna I was about to just do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, so defense, um I think I think we both here. Let's get into your forwards first. What do you, are your matchups similar for uh, the forward groups? Yeah, they're like, identical. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I yeah. think I think that's pretty much defensively. Consensus. I think we line up the exact same yeah. as well. So um, tell me what your top D are, and I'll tell you if it's it, Petrie and Edmonton are yeah, going out against exactly Matthews, Sherrod and Weber against uh, Tavares, yeah. and then what's your reasoning for Petrie there? He can skate. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Me too. They can both skate. I'm worried about Marner on that line. Yeah, it's Marner. To, uh, Matthews can move. Hyman yeah. can go. I just, I want guys who can move. I, I'm... I can see Weber skating. Like, oh, shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially having not played in a while. Yeah. He's kind of cruising. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I want Sherrod and Weber out there for when, you know, Tavares tries to park himself in front of the net. Because Tavares, again, this is someone who's underrated. But, you know... He had a great season. He, yeah, he he did, but it's just I want him to just get I, I just want to see Sherrod Weber from last year's playoffs. That's all where they were just absolutely abusive. Well, that's another thing. It's, you it's know, just like they were un, like they were unfair. That's another <laughs> thing people are counting out is the fact that I you know I feel like every playoff comes around and people forget how little penalties the refs call. And yeah, well, they they literally there's a, the the term playoff hockey is not a you know. It's not a made-up phrase that it's like, oh, it's playoff no, time. A lot it's go, like it's know? really like it's it's not just socially like acceptable, but it's just 
everyone comes with like the intent of we're seeing each other for maximum seven games i'm going to kill you yeah you know and that's the thing is like that'll allow us to really really you know get under matthew marner matthews marner and uh Tavares and Nylander's skin, and, you know, we're not going to let them in front of the net. And, you know, I, I really hope Sherratt and Weber stand up uh, and really, really take that role seriously. I think they will. Yeah, me too. I, I, it's, there's something about Shea Weber that I just, I see him as, like, a grizzled, like, war veteran. Yeah. Where it's just, like, he's a general, you know? It's just yeah. he gets in there, and he's like, it's time to go. <laughs> yeah. And he just, like, it's that's his crease. You he's know? got, like, that old man strength. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's little things like that. And, I mean... Before we go into uh, like we we're gonna say the key factors, there was one thing I wanted to bring up. I wanted your opinion. So special teams wise, I was thinking of something that I know this isn't a time for experimenting, but I had this one idea. I just wanted to know how you think about it. So how would you feel about kind of instead of like a box where you have two forwards and two D, how would you feel about three forwards and a defenseman in front of the net? So basically, I'll just put random names, but imagine you have. Um, let me see here. Perfect. You've got Dano, Lekkonen, and Byron on the ice with Weber, and they're playing kind of in like a shell. And the reason I was thinking about it is because the Leafs play a very like stationary yeah, offense. They don't really skate around. And I think like Weber just in front doing what Weber does, <laughs> which is just cross checking. But it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> but like he'll he'll do that. I mean, you can rotate him in with Sherratt too, but the thing is, or Edmondson even, but then having that like, that like dome of players, especially given how many penalty killers we have, I think that takes away where like, if I'm going to, I'm going to draw it out here just to show like my thought process where basically here's the net, here's the crease. Oh, I'll show it to you. I'm just saying like, here's basically the circles, right? And like Toronto is essentially setting up like this and they set up in that very similar like two two one right yeah. i find the biggest issue and the reason why toronto scores on us is they get it passing through a lot of yeah they get the yeah so let's just describe it to them because they can't yeah see they can't see what i'm saying i just i wanted to rubber but basically if you have this kind of dome of forwards that go from you know the winger playing in one circle, you have one centerman between the circles and another winger in the other circle with one defenseman in front. You kind of take away that back and forth that gets made and you force them to play a very, um, like, shoot and hope for a rebound, which is completely not what they yeah, play. Yeah, they won't capitalize on that. I, I think that's a good idea. I Much more than basically having this same style, but having two defensemen here and two forwards here where they have to keep shifting over back and forth yeah and i think even you know downstream consequences of that are, are favorable in the sense that i think it might shelter weber's minutes a bit which can help him play better five on five and on the power play right and um, you it just it creates more shot blockers yeah because realistically the, the guys playing that position there would be Sherrod and edmondson that's it and yeah. and and weber yeah, but I'm saying like Weber, we won't need to play him. Yeah, and I'm saying and you like you know I I still like him out there in general yeah. just because he sees the ice well. But like you but, can yeah, yeah he yeah. gets every third shift every, every third shift instead yeah. of every yeah, second exactly. you know yeah. so it's like it does help him you know he doesn't take a puck off the foot or something yeah, like, like he that. might be out there for 
you know, 30 seconds or something. And it also just, the big thing for me is it removes having Romanov out there and it removes having Petrie out there who are just not penalty killers. Yeah, not at all. And I also think, you know, like this is something too, but you can have in this style, you have, you can have two forwards going at the point and then breaking off where basically, let's say the puck goes to the right side. If Dano, and this is, this is more strategy, but if Dano and let's say Lekkanen both rush at a defenseman, and at the very last minute, this is a set play, but Dano is breaking off from that rush and kind of dropping back. The amount of interceptions you're going to get cross ice is going to be, like, astronomical. Yeah, and, I agree. You know, it, the only reason I, I do this is because we're a team that has Dano, to, uh, I almost said Dano to Targallier, but Dano, Lekkanen, Byron, Anderson to Foley, Evans, Suzuki, Armia. Armia like, we, we have so many guys who can kill penalties. Yeah, like, and you we know, don't have many D, that's and that's and that's it. So I think it benefits us a lot, and it also it just puts pressure on the puck carrier as a whole. We need to do that. That's the thing is like you know it, you can talk about different strategies. I'm, I'm for hire. <laughs> we don't need different strategies for different. We obviously need stra- different strategies for different teams, but against Toronto, I think it would be like absolutely you know basically just suicide if we play the static uh, penalty yeah, kill the turtle shell yeah because you turtle <laughs> shell against a team that you know really likes to just set up and then you know load that that Matthew shot you know I I don't see it working out very well I think you know what you do is you put out three forwards like you said and for a team that has as many shorthanded goals as us putting out three forwards there is probably a recipe for success yeah and so. just let guys like Lekkanen go absolute like yeah. sicko Lekkanen, mode Lekkanen I guarantee you is gonna his first shift gonna put someone through the glass <laughs> and he'll go through with them he's pumped to play so, the playoffs right let now. me just ask you who if you had to pick you know and and not it doesn't it doesn't have to be like a uh you know a hundred to one odds gamble who do you think is going to be the most like like make or break for the canadians so basically like if they don't play well and we'll we'll exclude goalies because it's obvious yeah let's let's just just, yeah if carrie price doesn't play well we're not gonna win yeah and it goes the same thing goes with with jack campbell i mean like if jack campbell doesn't you know play you know nine ten plus like he's been playing i just it's a pet peeve of mine when they do it on like tsn and everything they're like what's the x factor and they turn and say goaltending it's like there's one goalie on the ice it's like it's yeah. obvious if he doesn't play well yeah i'm saying like which like, player do you think of just this? Finish, yeah. yeah jack if jack campbell doesn't get above 9 10 like if he shows how he played against the winnipeg that last game um you know i think you know they're basically screwed too because like you said their defensive depth isn't actually very good but yeah so going into players that have the clutch yeah, so factor of the skaters who is the most make or break so if they play well we're yeah, through no, yeah. if we don't I, well it's just because i i want to make it just clear that i'm not asking basically for the player who you know could be the you know the difference maker i mean like also in the negative they don't play well so like because obviously if you know for example jake evans gets a hat trick every night that's super helpful but if he doesn't it doesn't yeah. mean we lose basically who are we gonna need to basically show up the most give you if that makes sense yes if if, uh, i'm just saying if jake evans i was using for an example if he gets a hat trick every single night that's obviously super beneficial make or break make or break in the sense where if let's let's say like if he doesn't play well throughout the series we're screwed yes exactly like who can not like a jake evans exactly like who is a player that will either positively or negatively impact the team? yeah i think you know i I, will throw out the obvious one here and i'm not going to choose this guy just because i think everyone's thinking it but like brendan gallagher like if he doesn't if brendan gallagher doesn't 
play well. Like the spirit of our team is basically shot and like, you know, I, I, I don't see us moving very far without him. Even like that last game against Philly there, um, you know, taking that cross check to the face and then, you know, that next game, yeah. uh, you know, wasn't, you know, wasn't nearly the same, but, you know, I think Josh Anderson with his size and just, you know, how he can, you know, come up the side there and, you know, do that Josh Anderson play, you know, where he you know holds his body and his stick to the other side and puts his body in the defensive face and then defenseman's face and then, you know, pulls it last second in front of the net. I think we're going to see a lot of that and catch Jack Campbell off guard. Um, they don't have a lot of D that can really keep up with them either. Like, you know, like Muzzin won't be able to do it. Um, Riley, really? Right. Yeah, exactly. That's Riley can, but, you know, it, it's, uh, but that's yeah, the only one. it's basically it. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, so I think he's. Anderson. Yeah, I think Anderson's my go-to, and um, yeah, I think if he doesn't play, I don't think that line in general will uh, be able to produce much, just because you know Toffoli and Suzuki are obviously going to be super key players, but against a line like Foligno, Tavares, and, and Nylander, you really need all three guys playing. But I think Anderson's the key there. Okay, so it's interesting you said because I was torn between two guys. Um, I think if Nick Suzuki doesn't come to play, you can that that's kind of like the last Jenga piece for me. The reason I say that is just because Nick Suzuki is someone who, you know, looking at last year we relied on for offense. This season, you know, one of the top point scorers on the team, 21-year-old centerman, and I just see it as basically we need someone who can kind of run the team when Dano is on the bench. Yeah. From the center position, it's 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 hard for me to like look down the center line and be like, okay, well, as long as Deno's line is doing well, uh, we're fine. And the way I see it is that you know Suzuki's line does well when Suzuki does well. It's the best way I can put it. So it's it's funny that we both pick someone from the yeah, same I think, line. I think that's that line in general. I think it's just ironic to a little to to a certain degree that we both didn't say to Foley. Yeah, I, <laughs> because it, I yeah. again I don't think. He's gonna be the difference maker, as as stupid as that sounds. And going back to you know our uh, our little stats sheet here, um, Toffoli actually compared to how he was scoring during the regular season was actually down in goals. He was up in points a little bit and assists, but Toffoli wasn't the guy all year who was scoring against. Yeah, but Toronto. you know this thing is we also had a losing record, so exactly. like maybe yeah, that is so the maybe guy that, that is needs it. to step. I think that line in general. I think Tatar Dano Gallagher is is safe. Like I. I, I, you know, they always show up. Yeah. But, you know, to Foley, Suzuki, Anderson, you know, it's not a consistent line that's been producing. So, mm-hmm. like, we need them to really step up. And, you know, there have been guys who have mentioned that line that, that when it does play, it does look good. Personally, like, I haven't looked into it enough to really notice, and I, I haven't liked it when Plus it is it, together. Yeah, when it does, when they do play well, they, they play very well. Yeah. Like, it sounds obvious, but the thing is, though, is that they're not always on, you know, they're not always on, uh, but we're going to need them to be on for, you know, you know, most likely, in my opinion, seven games. Yep. But, um... Well, that was going to be the next thing I get yeah. to. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, I was just... I think we both agree on that. I think yeah. it's going to be a seven-game series. Yeah, so. I, I... Well, I mean, honest predictions, um... I really, like... And I'll, I'll say it, Kava, I, I, I have a good feeling about this. OT. I... No, I, I mean, in terms of the games, first of all, like, I do think Montreal in seven is not the craziest thing to say, but... I, I do think there's going to be a minimum of two games this series that go to overtime. Yeah, a minimum. Too. I think. Minimum. I think we're going to see a lot of overtime games in Montreal, Toronto. Um, I I'd be like more tempted to say like three minimum, but I'm saying two to be conservative. 
Um, this is just going to be a very evenly matched series. You're not going to see many blowouts. Um, you, I don't think you'll see one. Um, I think you'll see a lot of overtime. I, I would be as bold to say as I, I get a very big uh, Blue Jackets... 5 OT vibe from this series. Yeah, I, I think just we're like, yeah, I think we're looking at a game seven OT win. I guess. Yeah. yeah, and that that's exactly when Thomas Tatar steps up. I yeah, guarantee. I, it. I guarantee I'm it. saying it now. I I'm can at, see that celebration already. Thomas Tatar game seven double overtime. Yeah, puts the puck in on a pass from Deno, calling yeah. in there. That's all of a sudden. Like when you're really happy to have Carey Price. Yeah, exactly. You know when Jack Campbell's shitting himself. And Carey Price is just doing that Carey Price look where Carey he's like, he looks like practice. <laughs> yeah. Looks like he's at practice. You know, that's when you're happy to have him when you, yeah, you know, you can he... see Jack Campbell visibly shaking. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's when you're, when you're happy to have uh, Carey Price. But, you know, it's going to be an interesting series nonetheless. Very, I think it's been very physical because I think Toronto has this thing where, uh, you know, they got kind of bullied by Columbus last year. And I think, um, you know, they're going to kind of overcompensate this year with, like, a yeah. lot of aggression that's going to be met with a lot of aggression. And, um, you know, based on how, you know, Gallagher was treated last uh, year against Philly, um, you know, I, I, I think we're not going to take much. Yeah. And, uh, and and last question here, just, I, I, just so I don't forget to, who, so we, we've said our make or break player, but who's your dark horse player from the Canadians? Like, who do you think is not expected to do very much and is going to do, like, the most, basically, in comparison to what's expected of them. Yeah, I'm going to go Jake Evans there. Okay. I think uh, I think Jake Evans is going to step up big time. Between him and... Le- I'm torn between him and Lekkonen. Okay. I can see, you know, Le- Lekkonen had a fantastic end of the season, mm-hmm. and it, it reminded me of, like, Lekkonen circa two years ago in, in the playoff run there where he had, like, six goals or something like that. Yeah, it was insane. Where he just, like, absolutely lit it up. I think he's going to be incredible in the playoffs, uh, but I, I think in terms of general impact like not necessarily like point production but just in terms of like wow he that was a great shift i think it's going to be evans just from that center position he's a lot more room to influence the game it's, in- it's interesting you said evans and lekanen because my choice was uh, paul byron oh yeah um nice. yeah i think paul byron's gonna be that guy that probably ends up with three four goals this series yeah, I, I and it. everyone just kind of forgot about him because he got hurt um i think he he's going to be such an important player. I, yeah, I think that line there of Byron Evans Lekkonen, I think they're going to really show the flaws and really punish that veteran fourth line of, yeah. of Toronto. And it's I, yeah. the speed and you Because that's, you know, fourth lines generally you don't expect to really produce. And, like, you expect them to kind of hold the puck getting ready for that yeah, first line to come opposite. out. They're a rush um, team. And that's what, you know, that's what Toronto's expecting. Like, that's how fourth lines play. But, you know, Byron, Evans, Lekkonen are going to try to score just as much as Tatar and Well, they're, they're, they're a rush line. They don't yeah. even have a good possession metrics. No, they just they um, get the puck deep. I forget and they who dig. said it, but I love this. They're called the Bell line now. Yeah. Like, it's like the Bell Center, but B-E-L, like Byron's, Evans, oh, yeah. Lekkonen. I like that. So uh, keep that together because that's just good for the media, too. Yeah. But, uh, okay, you know, we're, we're running on an hour 20 here, yeah. so I think we should probably wrap it. Yeah, um, so it's, you know, like I said, it's going to be an interesting season. Uh, yeah, series. it's going to be so much fun to watch. This is definitely going to be the most watched series. Yeah, we're going to have some hot mic moments, so yeah. we're going to watch the game with kind of our, uh, you know, our uh, our uh, microphone nearby. It's going to come out a little Tourette's-y, probably. Yeah, a little Tourette's-y, <laughs> and we're going to have, you know, maybe some, uh, you know, uh, PG-13, uh, con- you know, especially if things don't go our way, but, you know, 
we'll uh, edit that all together and and kind of make some uh, you know off the cuff episodes for you guys. But we'll also have our obviously our, our, our yeah. analysis. We're gonna probably end up doing basically like post game analysis, but with that kind of. Uh, you know emotions only reaction yeah. right before and in terms of your guys's lineup or if you you know disagree with caulfield not being in the lineup you know send us a message on instagram um at habs puck drop and or email us at uh, habs puck drop at gmail.com we love to hear from you guys and we could even get you guys on the show uh if you guys want to hop in and you know give us your input um so yeah send us an email message us on instagram and uh we'll get back to you guys take care everyone Thank you for listening to the Habs Puck Drop podcast. You can email us your thoughts, questions, and suggestions through our email at habspuckdrop at gmail.com or direct message us on Instagram at habspuckdrop. We'll see you next time.